something like book design, you're always working towards a, a very distinct goal, right? You have to keep things within a certain number of signatures in a book. It has to be divisible by 16. If you're doing the text, then you're kind of working together with a marketing team and production. And so you have a lot of restrictions, but then as a painter, you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> which is which is amazing, but also can be really hard. I am always interested in this idea that what do people see in something? Right? That's something that I think about. And And when I go back and look at these old photos, that's also something I think about a lot because maybe because of the way I grew up, but how do you know that a memory is accurate? You know, those are things I think about. There's a lot of things I don't remember. And I'm just interested in how we remember things and how we think about things. And so I I think what you leave out can be important as well. So those are just some of the things that are going around in my head when I'm working on these things. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 258th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Mia Risberg, who spoke with me from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she currently lives and works and makes lots of mixed media paintings. We talk all about that in the episode coming up. We talk a bit about Mia's background. She was born in Sweden and eventually came to the United States and studied art in New York. We, of course, talk a bit about process and how a lot of her paintings are inspired from these moments, these observations, these photographs of ideas of nature and our relationship to it, the tension that's created. We also talk a bit about place and memory and how that gets imbued into the work as well as a big experimentation with mark making and color and all of that's coming up in the episode super exciting definitely take some time to check out her website miarisberg.com and follow her on instagram there's plenty of in-process stuff up there at miarisberg art before we dive into this interview i do want to note that our 2021 student competition is coming to a close so if you are currently enrolled or recently graduated in 2020 from a visual arts program you're a ba bfa or ma mfa you should apply this competition this year, our juror is Kendra Balgren, who's a fantastic artist and curator and director of James May Gallery in Wisconsin, so we're very excited to have her on board. She'll be selecting five undergraduate and five graduate artists for a total of 10 to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break to share their work, to talk all about their process and their ideas behind their work. So if you want to find out how to apply, just go to studiobreak.com, look for our student competition page, and it's quite simple. You submit a small fee, you send an email with your website and our Instagram handle, identify your background, where you're going to school, and what category you're in, and you are done, you're all set. So if it sounds interesting, please apply, and of course, if you know anybody else that should be applying, please help spread the word. It's super, super appreciated. Maybe you're checking out Studio Break for the very first time. I just want to let you know Studio Break has a bunch of interviews up on studiobreak.com. Each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork that you can look at there, or you can click those links to their website so you can find out more or their Instagram. You can, of course, listen right there on studiobreak.com or just subscribe to the podcast, and then that way you've always got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. Studio Break is on social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and then on Instagram, it's studio underscore break. So be sure to follow, say hello. And with those brief announcements, we're going to dive right into this episode with Mia. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Mia Risberg, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, David. 
Absolutely. It's going to be so great to talk all about your work and to learn all about you. So thanks so much for joining me and taking the time. No, thank you. I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's going to be nice. Thank you. Absolutely. So I always like to kind of, you know, learn a little bit about the background of artists, you know, before we dive right into the nitty gritty. I did learn that you were born in Sweden, which is pretty exciting. Did you move here at a young age or how long did you live in Sweden? Our family kind of had an unconventional background or I had an unconventional childhood, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe not compared to a diplomat or something. (laughs) And I actually didn't come to the U.S. until I was a young adult. Well, let me backtrack. I lived for a couple of years as a tween in the U.S., but I was born in Sweden and then spent all of my childhood, we lived in different countries. So before the age of 13, I had lived in Sweden, France, Belgium, and the US. And then there was some back and forth. So I grew up moving, you know, moving a lot. I think we never lived for more than five years in one country before moving to the next. So that was, it was different, you know, yeah, I would, I would imagine that would leave an impression and, and certainly, you know, change your worldview a little bit, you know, because I, again, there's probably a big chunk of my life that I never left the suburbs of the Chicago area, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the norm, I think, for most people. And I think in some ways it was good because it's made me pretty adaptable. I was also able to learn other languages as a kid. And so it's made it easier to learn new languages as an adult. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think I it's made me crave change to some extent because I was so used to things being in flux mm-hmm. and, and going from place to place. So that might be the downside or maybe not all negative. But yeah, it, it was a it was a it was a different kind of childhood moving moving so much. And were you always kind of like creative when you were growing up? I mean, did you draw like with a notebook? I don't know why I could just imagine you anywhere working, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I like to make things. You know, I was one of two children. And I think perhaps because we moved so much, I was maybe used to being alone a lot or Mm -hmm. not having those long term connections with people because, you know, I'm going to date myself now, but this was before the internet, before. Mm social media and so if you wanted to keep in touch with friends you'd have to write a letter and when you're a kid and you're dependent on your parents that's not so easy so I think because of these transitions it was me and my brother and we spent time you know either together or by ourselves I would draw make collages I was the kind of kid that if I played with dolls I would make outfits for them (laughs) and, and cut things up but not really play with the dolls themselves maybe make like a like a setting, like an environment for them, but not, but then never do anything with the actual doll itself. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of kid I was. And then my mom was an artist. So she went to art school when I was growing up and she studied textile design. So she was pretty encouraging, but then my dad was more of a business type person. So he, they were very different. And so we had kind of a mixed, mixed interest household. Well, that's interesting. Hopefully at least supportive, you know, and exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, from my mom's side, because she could relate to, to my interests. So I think she kind of encouraged me to go into, into the arts. Did you have a lot of experience, you know, in terms of like studying in schools and things like that, or is it kind of typical? And again, I have no idea, especially if you're moving around to, to you know, countries when you're really young, and then I have no idea what that system is like. I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually part of the thing is I I think because I moved so much, my education was so fragmented. Mm -hmm. I think if I'd stayed in one system, for example, I think, you know, sometimes when 
American kids move abroad, they go to an American school. Let's say they're in another country, they go to the American school there, and then they they stay within the American school system. But for me, I I would be, you know, I'd be in the French school system and then in the mm-hmm. Belgian school system. And then when I lived in the U.S. for two years, I was one year in a Montessori school and then my second year in a Catholic school. And so I had this really fragmented education. And I think I remember first taking art classes that had kind of a, an impact on me was when I was in high school and that mm-hmm. was in Sweden. So that was probably the first time I really remember taking art classes. Mm-hmm that fostered my interest you know I was thinking about this the other day I do have one of my earliest memories like a kind of formative memory mm-hmm. was being really little I mean I must have been maybe four I think I lived in France at the time I must have been in preschool and I was painting on a big piece of paper or maybe the wall or maybe the paper was tacked up on the wall and I and I was painting with other kids and I had like you know, a little apron on and then I, I, I pushed the brush on the surface and then the brush split into, you know, it was one of those cheap brushes that has the really like long kind of not very controlled <laughs> bristles. <laughs> and then when I pushed it and made like that V shape, I was like, wow, <laughs> I did, wow, like, look at that. I can make a pattern. And then I remember pushing that. And that was, I, I think that must have been kind of a formative memory for me, but that's on a little side note. <laughs> <laughs> you were kind of talking about knowing that you really wanted to pursue art when you were in Sweden and, and studying in high school, if I'm not mistaken, is what you said, essentially. What was what was that experience like? I mean, what kind of things were you making or what you, were you interested in at the time? I was mostly drawing then, I think. Maybe doing some paintings, but drawing too. Just doing your average art class, it wasn't very specialized the way some classes are now where you can really, you know, I know in some high schools you can do jewelry and you can really build up a portfolio, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was much more general. Mm-hmm. And my mom who had gone to Pratt for two years, she encouraged me to apply to Pratt and kind of guided me. She had gone through the application process, you know, for building a portfolio. So she kind of guided me and said, I think you should you know, draw this or so that's how I built up my, um, my portfolio application. Was it like an intention then that you were going to pursue like fine art or, you know, uh, design or anything like that? So I applied to go to Pratt Institute and I got into that. And when I got in, I, I was very excited and I don't think I had a clear direction of where I wanted to go, but you know, you start with a foundation year. I think my idea was that I would find out as I went along there. I just went there for one year because after a year, my parents thought, you know, they felt it was too expensive for me to continue. And I was basically on my own in terms of like supporting myself and putting myself through college. And I really wanted to stay in New York and and pursue my my art education. So I had to figure out a solution and I transferred to Hunter College. And so that's where I eventually got my degree from. Interesting. And that was specifically like for fine art, though? Yeah, yeah. But because it's a liberal arts school, they'll make you also take all kinds of other things, which I enjoyed. I mean, I took intro to theater, which was a great class. And they'll have, you know, you need to take other classes, required courses. So I had to take a astronomy and English and, you know, general knowledge classes as well. Yeah, I did so terrible when I started school that it was really like when I started taking those classes that were 
you know, the things that you can kind of enjoy or kind of are tangents to things that you enjoy. So I remember taking like a film study class and it was just like, wow, this is amazing. And that sounds fascinating. You know, again, uh, theater and, and, you know, taking all these other arts classes to kind of uh, imbue that and all these other subjects. Yeah. Was there like a particular art class that you were kind of drawn to in terms of this is something that's really interesting to me. You talked earlier about especially being interested in drawing. So, yeah. So interestingly enough, when I was at Hunter College, I got really involved in the ceramics department, which is, you know, it's so different from what I'm doing now. But I think when you're young and impressionable and you're enrolled in art school and you may not know what direction to take, a lot of where you end up depends on the teachers. Mm -hmm. And I was curious about ceramics and I took this intro class and I just loved the teacher. He was young. He was really good. He was really enthusiastic and encouraging. And so I ended up taking several classes. And then I, I was a studio monitor. I, I for a while thought I was going to be a ceramicist <laughs> and not not a, not a potter, but you know a hand builder. So I was more interested in, in sculptural work. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at Henry Moore and making, probably a bunch of clunky things like my my clunky pieces. <laughs> I also took painting classes, but because I was working during the day, I ended up taking a job as a I met she's now a friend and she was then a mentor. Her name is Kathy Ace. I met her through the Hunter Ceramic Department. We became friends and then she hired me to work for her. She worked in publishing. She worked as an art director and she, she offered me this work opportunity and you know, I, I couldn't pass it up. It was such a great opportunity to give me a steady income and support myself and put myself through school and also get me health insurance. And so I said, I, you know, I jumped on it. Mm-hmm. I learned book design basically. It was just at the point where I was transitioning from manual typesetting to being on the computer. And so we, we kind of learned together because I was working full time during the day it did limit the amount of classes that I could take or my options. So there might've been classes I would have liked to take, but if they were offered during the day, I couldn't take them. I was limited to taking evening classes. And so there, there were pros and cons. And some of the cons were that, you know, kind of limited my opportunities in terms of, of the art education. It's certainly like a wealth of different experiences. So I think that's really kind of exciting. You know, not a lot of people have that opportunity, like you're talking about, to be able to work with somebody, you know, to be able to learn with somebody in like a professional setting too. So that's kind of exciting while you're pursuing your degree. I guess one thing that, you know, we were maybe thinking about earlier, especially like kind of transitioning or or being in all these different places, I would imagine just it's got to be exciting to be, you know, a 20 something in New York and and studying art, being around all these other artists um, after being, you know, somebody that was moving around a lot before. Was that super exciting just to be in like the art mecca for, for your young life? Yeah, it was. In Europe, New York is like New York City. I mean, you feel like when you land there, it's just, I think for anybody, but especially if you come from Europe, the, it's like Americana, you know, like at mm-hmm. its best. It's like big city, you know, big buildings, everything's going on. So it was super exciting, super exciting. It was hard too. you know, it was hard for me to put myself through school and you know, work at the same time. So it took me forever to graduate with my degree, <laughs> but, but I did it, you know? And so overall, I think it worked out. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, obviously we want to talk a lot about, you know, more recent work and things like that, but what kind of things were you interested in making maybe during this period of time, would you say? I was making, you know, ceramic sculptures and then I was painting and 
I would say it was mostly abstract, but then again, it would depend on what classes I was taking because even, even within the art degree, there were some requirements. And so, you know, I did some figure drawing, which I, I really enjoyed actually figure drawing from the model life. That was really, that was really exciting. And just a little bit of, of everything. So did you have like a plan in mind in terms of what I'm going to do after this? Or was it something where that experience of working with an artist and book design was something like, oh my gosh, I could, I could do this for a living. Once I had worked as a book designer, I was first working full time and then going to school at night for art. And then once I graduated, I think I needed a little bit of a break from that lifestyle, but I kept working within publishing as a book designer. And so I did that. And that was my primary focus although I did take some art classes on the side. So I, for example, I took a mono printing class, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got a little sidetracked. I ended up, when I got married and had kids, then I took a break from making art for a while. I couldn't do all of the mothering and the freelance mm-hmm. work <laughs> and then the art as well. I just couldn't fit it in. But so essentially you, you've been a book designer for quite a long time then too. Well, I worked on staff for for about seven years, I think. And then I freelanced for a couple of years in New York before moving to Michigan. And then I freelanced for a few years in Michigan as well when my kids were younger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the book industry has ch- has changed a lot from the time I first started freelancing. So that was also an incentive for me to, to switch gears because they consolidated a lot of the publishers so I worked for Random House for a while and then Penguin and now those two are together mm-hmm. so there were fewer opportunities for me to get freelance work and so about eight years ago I started you know reevaluating what I wanted to do and I was missing doing things with my hands and I was tiring a little bit of the computer aspect of the work I did book interiors as well as book covers and the book covers felt really creative but the book interiors can be very analytical and very mathematical as well. I thought, okay, well, I need to continue, you know, working up my skills on book design and, and the changing industry, the formatting, or maybe, you know, switch gears. And so I decided to return to art making. I'd been making a little bit of art on the side, but I, I decided that I missed working with my hands. And that was, you know, initially what I was most excited about many years ago. So I decided to give myself a chance to go back to doing that full time. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine then that you're kind of exploring a lot of the same materials that we think of in terms of your work now, in terms of drawing, in terms of painting. Yeah. Yeah. I started out with painting and not so much drawing unless maybe I was sketching, but I started out with painting and I think I I picked up sort of where I left off last before my, my break, Mm -hmm. which was the last thing I was really actively doing was monoprinting. And I had taken that class in New York and I was doing the the seascapes or the waterscapes and also doing some abstract monoprints. So when I started painting again, I I think I, I wanted to pick up where I left off, even though it had been many years in between with that. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to think about those monoprints too, I mean, that process is that you're working on a, a matrix, a print matrix. I got that right. But essentially it's, it's something that's singular. Is that correct? The class I took was basically you'd, you know, you'd apply paint to a plexi surface mm-hmm. and you'd create your, your, um, your area, your painting area. And you, it, it was, it's basically like painting on 
a one-time painting and then you can do like a ghost print. Mm-hmm. I really loved it. And it was, it was around the time of 9-11, actually. It might have been before and after. And so I, I worked myself up in a, like in a frenzy in that model printing studio. <laughs> I think it was just a way to escape the chaos of what was happening in New York at that time especially the waterscapes because they were so just kind of soothing to me even though I think water can have that dual can have that dual aspect of it you know because water can be very intimidating at the same time Mm -hmm. but it can also be very soothing which is something I find interesting but that was the way I was working then and then when I started painting again here in Michigan I I didn't have a press but I I was trying to think of ways that I could recreate this process, kind of a quick one-time go of making these things in a series, like Mm -hmm. the Waterscapes. And so that's where the Waterscape series came from. Well, and I guess, you know, to think about that work, the abstractions, those series, I mean, obviously it seems like there's a relationship to nature or, you know, landscapes or the outside world. Maybe talk a little bit about the way that you were thinking about these, these abstractions. Were they kind of based off of, you know, any kind of like observed experiences? Are they all kind of imaginative or? So nature is very important to me. And that was one of the things when we were talking earlier about my, you know, my childhood years, I think nature was always a constant to me because even though we moved, we did have a lot of, we had, we either had a large yard or we had access to like a summer house, which is pretty common in Sweden. And so I was always, I always felt a strong connection to nature. I always loved being in nature. During that time when I was growing up, you spent a lot of time out of your parents. You know, it was a different kind of parenting style then. So I spent, I remember, you know, being alone, like on a mountain, like the whole day. I, of course, it could be my memory that's faulty, but I just remember you know, walking up this waterfall, like roaming. And, you know, this was before cell phones. I just, I don't know what my parents were. Just, I was just free. I was just going wherever I wanted. And so I, I would do a lot of explorations of nature. And that that was always important to me. I love nature. And so I do really like thinking about landscapes. And when I did the the abstractions, I think, they always, in my mind at least, sort of developed into a kind of landscape. It might not have been, a, you know, from the outsider's perspective, a very mm-hmm. realistic one or a very recognizable landscape. But to me, it was kind of a, an imaginary constructed landscape. I was just going to kind of note, like, so all of these can be found on your website, miareesberg.com. So people should definitely check that out if they haven't. But these abstractions, again, they're just, you know, really interesting in terms of color and exploring, you know, those materials. I notice, again, these are oil and uh, cold wax on boards. So, again, it's interesting to kind of think about that, too, because I notice there's a lot of acrylic-based paintings. To think about this transition of work or maybe kind of where you go from next, I mean, how did that come about in terms of kind of moving on to other other ideas? Because I noticed, again, you know, if we look back at, you know, some of the work that comes after, they become much more literal kind of landscapes. Yeah. And and going back to the cold wax, yeah, I, it's a fun medium, but it's it, it feels, at least the way I was working, it felt like I had a lot less control, you know, and I do like the accidental part of it. And that's a little bit like monoprinting. I do love that accidental factor where you're not fully in control and you get these happy accidents. But I noticed that I was, even though I enjoyed that process, 
I was still looking a lot at figurative work. And sometimes I felt like I was reaching for something while there was a lot of things, there were a lot of things around me that I was observing and taking reference photographs of. Mm-hmm. And and so I thought to myself, that's clearly an interest of mine. I should try to incorporate that somehow. And so that's when I started reincorporating figures into the paintings. And I started exploring that way. And that started, there's a Lost Child series, which mm-hmm. is these kind of abstracted backgrounds and then juxtaposing this figure into the more unrealistic abstract landscape. That's absolutely one of the series that I wanted to talk to you about because it's such such a beautiful, you know, run of paintings and various works, but maybe kind of talk about that process a bit more in depth. Part of my daily routine is I go out walking. I walk my dog every morning. I take a long walk and preferably out in nature. And I take a lot of photographs, <laughs> thousands <laughs> of photos on my computer, which I need to organize. But um <laughs> And I also took a lot of photos of my um, kids when they were younger. And that series started with a photograph of my daughter who, when she was younger, she got out of the pool. So we have a pool in our neighborhood and she was standing with a towel over her head Mm -hmm. and it had this beautiful kind of summer evening light. And it was just this kind of, you know, some moments stand out to you. And I was like, freeze, you know, don't move. <laughs> and so I, I took several photos and I just wanted to capture it, which was hard because when they're little, they just they don't want to pose. <laughs> and that was always something that I, I thought, oh, I need to paint this or do something with this. So that was a, seemed like a good starting point. The figure was kind of mysterious. And that's always something that I like is when it's the narrative is a little bit unclear. Like I kind of like when you look at a painting and you're like, what's going on here? And it can be a little the message can be a little ambiguous. That's how that series started. It was also around the time, I think it was around the time of the, was it the Parkland shooting? I mean, there's so many shootings now Mm -hmm. in the U.S. that I forget, but it just made me think about, you know, how vulnerable children are and how, like the transition between being a child and then going into adulthood, you know, their place in the world. And so that that vulnerability. And so I, to me, that that kind of the image of her drape kind of captured it because she's seen from the back and you don't really know what's going on. And that was a good figure to bring into this abstract landscape. Yeah, there's like a real sensitivity to the work and the way that it's kind of presented and explored. And, you know, again, it has a lot of intriguing kind of color and exploration is that something that like you kind of like to do as you're as you're kind of working into a painting you know like for example like there's there's one called lost child number four which takes on a slightly different color variation of this it's got all these kind of kind of like a really soft violety kind of color but then also all these greens and blues and it's super rich is that something that again is just kind of started off almost kind of like the same way with like a monoprint like there's going to be that element that's going to be you know part of it and then everything else is just kind of improvised or kind of worked over um so i at that point i was talking to an artist that i know here his name is michael gargulio and he he says, you know, you can expand on this and do several. And so I started thinking about doing various pieces and, and then like cutting them out and what directions could it go in and sort of kind of grew from there. So I became interested in the lines 
you know, because I was I was tracing some of these images. Mm-hmm. I became interested in the negative space that the lines were making. Then it, I made one piece where it looked very almost, because it was just the lines of the landscape and the figure. It, it was a black and white version. It became almost, almost like a futuristic kind of looking piece where it, it was kind of made me think about technology. Super interesting, just because there's some subtle variations to these. And I think, again, there's another series called Small Observations that I would imagine is kind of like based off of these things that you're seeing or taking photographs of every day. And it's just like, wow, this could be an interesting kind of work. Is that is that how that series worked? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I was just, I just started looking at things and I it became, I mean, the more involved I became in painting, the more important it was for me to make sure that I developed kind of a steady practice, you know, where I was doing it on a daily basis and did not take breaks. And if that meant doing a small piece, then that was my goal, just at least to get in the studio and get in the habit of working regularly. Mm -hmm. And I found that working on the small scale was really helpful for that. I do like observing things. And as I was saying, taking pictures of every, a lot of things Mm -hmm. and thinking about composition and the interesting little things that we see around us or that we might overlook, you know, but once they're pointed out to you, they can become interesting. And so that was, that was part of it. Well, and obviously that small scale, like I think you were alluding to allows you to kind of maybe work on a number of paintings um, more quickly or maybe more efficiently. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also not, um, you know, there's always that toggle between overworking, you know, (laughs) doing it just right. And so I think, working small you can you can do them quicker and maybe not overwork them at least that's my hope well yeah and again i mean we go from subjects that include like this one called jelly donut versus you know dr ford but you know like obviously things that are very very recognizable and then things that become these kind of abstractions of recognizable things Mm -hmm. so it seems like there's just a lot of you know exploration of these in terms of that kind of like daily reflection or you know the mundane yeah, yeah, and yeah, I do I do like to look around and and observe observe things around me and perhaps um maybe just shed, you know, some light on something that you wouldn't necessarily look at otherwise. I think that's that's an interesting thing and I know that's not unique to me. I think a lot of artists do that. So that's that's one of the beauties of art. <laughs> And is that also part of the process? You know, you're describing that you've got like a ridiculous archive of photos. I would imagine then, you know, part of that process is to kind of go through them and be like, oh, this one has potential. Go put it in the yeah. potential pile. This one we have to delete. Um. <laughs> yes, but I wish I was a little bit better about deleting because I have so many ideas and um, and so many folders of, of things that I want to do. I have the opposite problem of like having a shortage of ideas. It's more like getting them organized and and getting to them is in a consistent fashion <laughs> because I'm constantly taking pictures and and I have I do have too many photos way too many what do you choose or what are you looking for is there anything that you can describe I guess a lot of it is how I'm feeling at the time and what I'm interested in you know like I started recently doing some zoom portraits mm-hmm. it's it's pretty new still I've been taking some zoom um, screenshots mm-hmm. of people. I know it's not necessarily very polite to do, <laughs> but I always, I you know, I ask for permission because I know it's sometimes people are not at their best, you know, when they're on Zoom or not the way they want to be seen. But 
there was a picture of a woman and her daughter and it was just something will catch my attention and with this one with this one picture their faces were so expressive and the way that the daughter was leaning her head on her mother's shoulder and her eyes and their mouths and then they looked alike you know those family traits but they're still different and and so that just caught my attention and that's kind of what sparked that Mm -hmm. idea and it felt relevant because we're spending so much time on on zoom everyone is these days and so I thought that I would work on that so it depends a little bit on on what I'm feeling and and also what mediums I want to use because I feel like different things lend themselves to different mediums you know to kind of continue the the thread of like you know all these small format kind of works there's another series called uh, glimpses which I think is still current but again I mean there's just such an exploration of color in this series that's really interesting and I think you know, kind of thinking about the the previous ones of the the small observations, like again, there's just so much uh, expression kind of explored in terms of color. Um, was that kind of like a goal or kind of like mindset kind of going into these, is to kind of really push that avenue? So that started out in the very late 2019, so I think in November, mm-hmm. and our old dog was uh, diagnosed with cancer and he had to go under I'm sorry treatment. To hear that. And it, thank you. It was it was a tough time because he was very sick and he had to be monitored because of the medicine he was taking and so forth. And so I had very little time, but I still wanted to find some time to do work. And an artist I know through Instagram, whose name is Rachel Petruccillo, was doing a limited brushstroke challenge and making work with limited brushstrokes. And I thought, well, that's something that I'd like to try. And so it started out with that. And I quickly realized I could not count brushstrokes because I'm not <laughs> ambidextrous. And so I couldn't you know, work and then put my brush down and then mark one stroke. But I, but I kept the overall you know, loose aspect of it, which is basically keep it loose, don't overwork it. And I started drawing these fragments of people and thinking about color and composition. And then the more I was working on them, I realized that they were forming this kind of community. You know, I, I would lay them out on a grid and then conversations happened between the different pieces. And because they're sort of fragments of people or glimpses, as I like to call them, they present this sort of unclear narrative, right, about what's going on. So mm-hmm. I became a little more intentional with what I was doing, which is in terms of colors, I would try to vary them in terms of colors and then showing different ages, races, genders, and to really make it a um, heterogeneous community. <laughs> and that, that's how that happened. And now I've, I've been building up that series. The Glimpses series is going to actually be shown, or a part of the series, it's going to be shown in this local uh, window front gallery. It's a window front space, which is about six by six. And so it has a lot of foot traffic. It faces out on the street. It's called the Aquarium Gallery. And I'm excited about it because there'll be an interactive component to it where because they'll be aligned in a grid and people will be walking by and seeing them and in my mind at least constructing their own narrative about what's happening in each of these little squares, I'm going to be collecting information from the viewers. I'm hoping for participation where I'll be asking them a set of questions and then collecting that information to see how based on who the viewer is, if there's variation in the narrative of the pieces, if that makes sense. 
So I'm excited about that aspect of it. It'll be it'll be nice to have something interactive, you know, especially after this long period of the pandemic. It's interesting because we were just talking about this idea of being able to show these work and especially after quarantine, how, you know, having that interaction is really interesting. But I know, too, that there's been a number of other projects and other avenues that you've kind of taken. So maybe talk a little bit about this kind of collaborative project, uh, Inside World Quarantine Chronicles. Uh, tell us about that. What what happened there? That was really a fun project, David. It was really exciting, actually. So when the pandemic hit, I had just come back from this fantastic residency I did for two weeks in Virginia at the Virginia Center for Creative Arts. Mm -hmm. And then I came back and literally five days after, I think we went into lockdown in Michigan. And, you know, that, that really threw me for a loop and kind of put me in a bit of a creative slump, especially after having been away at the residency and being so energized and having all this time to work. And so for a bit there, I was a bit of in a creative slump. And then I had this opportunity to participate in this collaborative project. They were doing um, shoebox. I think they're called shoebox now, but they were called shoebox PR, mm-hmm. which is based in LA. They were doing a, a call for artists and they did several rounds during the pandemic. And the, the one I participated in was round two and they called it a call and response. And so you were assigned another artist, another creative person, and it could be any medium to work together with. And one person would do something, send it to the other digitally then via email, and then you'd respond and then you'd send it back and vice versa and like back and forth like that for a period of 10 days. So we had a really quick turnaround time. It was 24 hours to to make something, which was great because it just limits you and really makes you focus and I was paired up with Jessica Shappe, who's a photographer who used to be in L.A. at the time. I didn't know her. And so I just met her through the project. And we just we just hit it off. We worked really well together. And she sent me a photograph. She started it. And then I responded to her photograph with a painting. And then she responded to the photograph. And then I responded to a painting and so forth. And it was really like a good way to get the creative juices flowing again. And because of the quick turnaround, there was no overthinking. You know, I could let myself be loose. I I found like this kind of new imagery made its way into the paintings. And I just let it. I mean, I would look at her photograph and then let it kind of let the ideas simmer a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then just quickly draw something like a quick sketch and then paint and then send it back to her. And that's what we did. We had such a good working relationship that we decided to continue after our, you know, our 10 day period. So instead of doing 10 pieces, I think we did a total of 24. So we had 12 each. Oh, wow. In the beginning, when I, I think with just the first painting, it was just a response to what she, a visual response to what she had shown in her photograph. And then as we were working we realized it became a little more introspective and it became more about the pandemic experience. Mm-hmm. You know, she was taking photographs and they were sort of isolated and I was responding to it. And then we realized it was more about the headspace that we were in, right? Like we were all going, like the whole world was going through this thing and and just feeling, I guess, isolated and all those feelings that we, everyone was experiencing at the beginning. So that's what it became about. And it was it was a really fun challenge. That collaboration just seems so interesting because I think first couple of pairs of those images, one, there's like a figure that's standing in a field of flowers and there's this, 
you know, head that's just n- missing, right? It's like dissolved into the sky. And then yours in response is just the head. And again, it's just really interesting to see that kind of invention, the way that you're taking some of these compositional elements from the photograph and honing in on them or, you know, just totally inventing them or shifting them around. And so, again, it seems like a really interesting, you know, space to play in. It really was. And it just, it kind of let this you know, magical realism aspect to come into the paintings, I think, because I, I couldn't overthink it. And I had the imagery that I, I would come up with in response to her work. It, it came very quickly, but I had to let myself do it because it was a little bit different from what I was doing before. And then I found I really enjoyed it. And we, we just worked well together. We just, we did have an, we did agree on, on the format. You know, she said we would do, she was going to take photographs at the three to four ratio. And so I made my paintings to that ratio as well. And so it worked well in a grid. It was a good challenge and it was really fun. And then we even wrote some poetry <laughs> to go with it, which we haven't released in the wild, but that was also challenging, you know, because I, I don't write poetry usually, but then I was first, I was like, oh, really? I, I don't know about this. This is out of my comfort zone. But then I got into it and it was fun. And they're just short little stanzas, at least on my end. It was a fun project. And then I ended up, I started working on larger adaptations of those paintings because they're pretty small. They're only six by eight. So when I was when I was done with that series and she was done and worked, moved on to other things, I decided I wanted to do larger adaptations of the paintings and do them you know, on board instead of paper. And so I've been working on larger paintings. They range from 12 by 16 to 30 by 40. And they're on wood, uh, acrylic on wood. And it's given me a chance to revisit the series, but also elaborate on them a little bit more. And if there was something I didn't like, I could make adjustments to that. If there was something I didn't like in the original one as much, or you know, keep things and enhance things that I liked. So it gave me some some more room to to grow them out. It's fascinating me the way that your work evolves because I was talking to you earlier about some of the kind of seascapes and abstractions and that kind of painterly and atmospheric kind of way of working, kind of finding its way into some of the other work. And so from the places and memories, which I think is what these paintings are that we're just kind of talking about, there's one called Waiting. And, you know, the background has just all of this texture and it has all of this investigation with those materials that remind me of those surfaces of some of those earlier works. But then there's just this really inventive color and ways of exploring different formats. Or like in this case with Waiting, you know, we we don't see the entirety of the figure, right? That's like cropped off at about the shoulders. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm especially curious, like in terms of that, I mean, is that just like, again, you maybe just have a pile of all these different compositional ideas and then you're like, okay, I'm going to translate this one as that larger one. So it's going to be more investigative, but. So the waiting painting is inspired by a old photographs. You know, I've been looking at, at old photographs from my childhood and it was a compositional choice. I was, I think, a little bit influenced by the glimpses where I've been making these decisions about the composition and by leaving certain things out, it encourages the viewer Mm -hmm. to think about what's going on. And I do kind of like that, you know, by having this pregnant figure without the head, it it leaves you with more questions. Mm -hmm. That's one aspect of it. And then I was trying to keep the background more loose there because I do like that kind of abstract background and I was 
and try not to overwork it and, and keep it more painterly. You know, you think about it relative to some of your other experiences, especially like as a, as a book designer, you know, imagine like, again, there's a totally different way of thinking about composition for that. But then I would imagine there's just so much time that you've looked at how things are organized that, you know, kind of playing around with that. And, you know, like you were just describing, kind of giving something the viewer to, to think about is something that's got to be, you know, something that's really interesting to you to kind of explore in these. I also like when it's things are maybe a little bit quirky or maybe a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. and make, like you said, make the viewer think. And, you know, something like book design, you're always working towards a very distinct goal, right? You have to keep things within a certain number of signatures in a book it has to be divisible by 16. If you're doing the text, then you're kind of working together with a marketing team and production. And so you have a lot of restrictions, but then as a painter, you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> Which is sure. <laughs> amazing, but also can be really hard. But I, I am always interested in this idea that what do people see in something? Mm-hmm. Right? That's something that I think about. And And when I go back and look at these old photos, that's also something I think about a lot because maybe because of the way I grew up, but how do you know that a memory is accurate? You know, those are things I think about. There's a lot of things I don't remember and I'm just interested in how we remember things and how we think about things. And so I think what you leave out can be important as well. So those are just some of the things that are going around in my head when I'm working on these things. Well, and I would think then that's something that you can kind of imbue a painting with, right? So lady of the field, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you describe that idea, you know, kind of having it in that color scheme. And again, there's a lot of complementary, you know, greens and kind of like red tones. I start thinking about it like that, because like if it's kind of got this otherworldly kind of color, you know, we don't think about it as being something that's purely representational. There's kind of like this story about it. You know, there's this almost like yearning or something going on in the facial expression. Yeah. But then you kind of see areas where the like arm like is almost the same exact color of part of a background. So at least tells the viewer, I think, like that this is not just that direct translation, that there's something going on to explore this or to think about it differently. That's a really good observation. I really like the way you said that. I think also I'm always interested in when there's almost like this potential for people to merge with nature. You know, I do think of us as being so temporary on the planet. And now I'm going to go a little dark. But, <laughs> sure. but you know, I, I do think overall like nature is, I don't want to say like it's going to outbeat us, but it's of course, now we have all these environmental problems, but then, you know, you can think of COVID and kind of, I I feel like I'm going really dark here, but it's almost (laughs) a little bit like nature giving us the finger, you know? Sure, sure. And and I love nature. And so I I do like this idea of us possibly being like merging into nature or being overtaken by nature. And it could be, it could be in a harmonious way, but it could also maybe be, there could be some tension there. That those are some of the things I think about. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how that crosses over to some of the other works, you know. So another series is the drawing series. And I still think of them as like these singular moments. You're probably working from them in a similar way. But I think, you know, given that nature, like, again, I mean, like on a long enough timeline, we're not going to be around anymore. So there is that kind of like, you know, fleeting kind of moment kind of feeling to them to me in that sense of like trying to you know, you see that beautiful reflection of yourself 
I'm assuming in one of these drawings, you know, we get this colorful kind of wall and it's like, oh my gosh, this could be a great, you know, moment to kind of like let other people kind of, I guess, ponder, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. One of the reasons I was, I started exploring with pencils is because I do, I love color and sometimes I just get so seduced by it when I'm painting. You know, when I'm painting, I, I've noticed that I'm, I love color and I love actually mixing color and I can be really seduced by that aspect of painting. Mm-hmm. And I started working with color pencil and one of the things I liked about that and I think one of the reasons I liked it is because it's, it has more limitations because you're not mixing the color before applying it to the paper. Mm-hmm. And so having those limitations was really interesting for me you know, to have and I, I wanted to capture some of the quietness, you know, some of those quiet moments that we were going through. So I started doing these drawings based on areas of my neighborhood and then also expanded into some images of shadows and those kind of reflective moments as well. Yeah. I mean, again, I could imagine some of these. There's one that looks like maybe it's like the end of your driveway, which has some of the kind of like what looks like the sky colors kind of being reflected into the surface of the driveway. Is it like a purple? Does it have like mm-hmm. a purplish yep. kind of, yeah, that, that is actually, it was an area near my daughter's soccer practice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, I was taking photos of one of those mom moments, awkward mom moments where I'm taking up and I'm like, wait, well, I have to take photos of this <laughs> before it passes. And, but there is asphalt there or concrete. So you were correct about that. <laughs> Well, and it seems like, too, these have like a real sense of like thinking about time of day and lighting and shadow, you know, in terms of the way that that kind of affects the work, you know, and that's something that's really interesting, too, because like there's other ones. There's like one where there's kind of like a a shadow from a tree that's hitting the side of a fence down, like probably when you're not walking, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of really captures that time of day to me. Yeah. And another thing that I've been thinking about when I've been making these drawings, a lot of it is kind of distilling distilling things or, or, or narrowing things down and thinking about, you know, how much can I simplify? So I've got the simplification of the materials because pencils are so portable and, mm-hmm. you know, they're so direct, right? There's no mediums, there's no water, and you just have the pencils and the paper. And so there's that, which can be satisfying. And then also thinking about how can I simplify what I see still keep it interesting without putting in all of the information that I'm seeing. So there's kind of like, you know, distilling everything into this simplified version of it and make it still, to me at least, visually interesting. So that's been part of the process. Well, and it's interesting in the sense that too, like a lot of the the language kind of becomes a little bit flatter, but then there's also gradients, but it's definitely doesn't have that same kind of surface and, you know, textural kind of exploration is maybe some of the other ways that you kind of maybe paint. So I also think of it as a way that kind of just builds up, you know, other tools in your toolbox or, you know, maybe new areas of like investigating, like, oh, I could turn this and and utilize this for a painting or. Yeah. And I've actually been doing that. I'm, uh, I've only done two so far, but I'm (laughs) making oil paintings from the drawings, you know, so taking that kind of simplification, but seeing what happens if I'm applying that to an oil painting. It'll still look different, but has that kind of narrowing. Again, I don't want to be using the word simplification a lot, but I can't think of a better word <laughs> for it. But yeah, using using 
you know, that as my, um, as my base. To me, in the way that, you know, these maybe turn into paintings or, you know, they might be more efficient to kind of work through one than maybe some of your larger paintings, you know, it might be a way that kind of keeps that that conversation going for you so that you're always kind of exploring new things and, and taking it in new directions, which I think is really cool because, you know, for artists to kind of get stuck, it's always a bad feeling. So I feel like that's something that, you know, as we've been talking, you really kind of are active and playing around with things and being open to your work changing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's a good way to look at it. So it's like a live, a live sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think also during this pandemic period, I think, you know, I've allowed myself to just explore. And if it's been a deviation from what I was doing before, then I say, you know, that's okay too. And I don't know why the pandemic has encouraged that maybe because there's been less physical shows, mm-hmm. maybe less pressure in some ways, but I've just felt that it's been okay to do that and just ex- let myself explore or see where, where it takes me. I feel like it's, it's a gap year for everybody almost, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and again, that's such a funny term. Cause I, I don't even know where I heard that recently. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah gap year that, that you know, <laughs> taking a year off between, you know, college or high school or something like that. And I just say that because it's like, it really is, you know, like, I think that it's kind of been difficult for a lot of people, but I think also it's been something that's allowed everybody to kind of challenge themselves to come up with new ways of thinking about things or looking at things. And, you know, I think that's something that's at least positive about it. That's true. That's true. I mean, I definitely think for all of us, it's been a period of of growth, right? I mean, unfortunately for some, it's, you know, been growth through tragedy, but also just generally like thinking about how we spend our time and what we're doing and what's important and not important. And so I I do think there's some silver linings. And also I, I feel I've really enjoyed my virtual community this past year. I feel... I feel like I've made friends on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It sounds corny, but I really do feel like I've gotten to know people. And I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the virtual community because without it, I, then it would have been much harder, I think, this past year. But there is that way for us to connect now, which is, I'm really thankful for that. It's interesting because I think people can be very competitive, especially artists, you know, or, you know, they start kind of taking things personally or they see something going on and they're like, oh my gosh, how come I'm not getting attention or something like that? But I think the really great thing about social media, especially is that you kind of have those conversations like you're kind of talking about, you know, you start kind of seeing, you know, patterns in people's work, or you start kind of noticing things that kind of lead you in different directions or, you know, maybe the way that you think about your own work. And so I think that's so encouraging, you know, especially when people start taking big risks or, you know, like, Hey, I'm trying this new material or this new process or something. So, you know, I definitely, definitely love that about Instagram, especially. Yeah, I I love seeing what people are doing and also on a more like I don't want to I don't know what to call it like spiritual level or subconscious mm-hmm. level or something but I've noticed you know sometimes there are these really strange like serendipitous interconnections that are happening where for example a, a lot of times I have like imagery that comes to me so I'll I'll just like a an image and I'll sketch it out or I'll write a description of it in my little notebook but then, you know, the next day I look and I see a curator that I follow who posted an image of an artwork by someone and it's got a lot of similarities, maybe in the composition or something, to what I just drew in my uh, little sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And then I'll look and somebody else has 
is doing something on in a similar color palette. So there's all like there are like these little invisible threads that are running through our little community. And it sounds it sounds kind of dorky maybe, but <laughs> it makes you feel like you're part of this bigger web. Mm-hmm. Does no, that, completely. Does that make sense? Yeah, the collective unconscious, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's really it, that's kind of cool. Absolutely. And I think again too, like if we think about this year, I mean everybody's kind of going through that together more or less, you know, or at least they're kind of experiencing those same things. Certainly as somebody that's looking at a lot of final projects right now, there's a lot of them that are exploring that sense of isolation during the pandemic. But then, you know, likewise, uh, it's so interesting to think about the ways that we can turn that positive, even if we're looking inward and, you know, contemplating it. So, yeah, yeah. To think about where you're at now, I mean, what kind of things are going on in terms of, you know, showing your work or are there other kind of collaborative efforts and things going on in your studio? I'm planning on, as I mentioned earlier, showing the glimpses at the Aquarium Gallery. And then I'm also part of an international collaborative exhibit called Telephone Project, which can be seen online. And that's been, I think, you know, your viewers might be interested in checking it out. It's really, it's it's a really cool project that involves hundreds of artists all over the world. And the director of the project is Nathan Langston. He had a team working with him and they worked really hard on this for a year. So it started early in the pandemic. And basically it's, it's like the telephone game where uh, one message is, is whispered to someone and then gets passed on. And then, you know, so you see the starting project and then it started with a message and then you see the final project and it goes through a lot, a lot of different mediums. So there's writing, there's, I think, even dance, video, 2D art, 3D art, music, and I had a piece in that. And there's a lot of uh, wonderful artists that are part of it as well. Yeah. So again, the address for that is phonebook.gallery. So again, super interesting to see how all of these different artists are influencing each other through other types of artwork and responding to that. So super interesting. Definitely check that out. Are there other things that you have that you're, you know, working away for in terms of the future or? You know, I'm working on my, on my glimpses series and the color pencil works and finishing the inside world of larger versions of those paintings. So I have several series in the works. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. Well, and remind everybody, so where are the best places to see your work and, and to check it out? The first place would be Instagram, which is uh, at Mia Risberg Art. And then there's my website, but I um, probably don't update as quite as often as I should on my website. And I put, you know, I only put completed work while Instagram gives you kind of inside glimpses into, you know, work in progress and daily stuff. Yeah, that sounds exciting, you know, so people can check in, you know, day to day and see, you know, what's catching your eye. So, again, super exciting. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk all about your work today. It's been fascinating. So so thanks for doing this. Thank you, David. I appreciate you having me on. It's been really fun to talk to you. Thanks again to Mia for joining me. Check out her website, MiaReesberg.com, and be sure to follow her on Instagram at MiaReesbergArt. Mia will be exhibiting work from the Glimpses series at the Windowfront Aquarium Gallery at the Ann Arbor Art Center in June, and there'll be a link up on studiobreak.com for that. I do want to note once again that our 2021 student competition is coming to a close, so if you are currently enrolled or recently graduated in 2020 from a visual arts program, you're a BA, BFA, or MA, MFA, you should apply this competition. 
This year, our juror is Kendra Balgren, who's a fantastic artist and curator and director of James May Gallery in Wisconsin. So we're very excited to have her on board. She'll be selecting five undergraduate and five graduate artists for a total of 10 to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break to share their work, to talk all about their process and their ideas behind their work. So if you want to find out how to apply, just go to studiobreak.com, look for our student competition page, and it's quite simple. You submit a small fee, you send an email with your website and our Instagram handle, identify your background, where you're going to school, and what category you're in, and you are done, you're all set. So if you're interested in sharing your work, please apply to the competition, and if you know anybody that should be applying, please help spread the word. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to hear some more, check out studiobreak.com. We've got a bunch of archived episodes there. You can go all the way back. 200 and some episodes, so plenty of studio listening. Each of those episodes have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course you can listen right there on studiobreak.com or subscribe to the podcast, and then that way you've always got a studio companion, something to keep your mind occupied and going while you're working away in the studio. Studio Break is on Facebook, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Today's music is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can check out Ben's work by checking out his Instagram at mbencohanstudio. And, of course, check out his paintings on his website, mbencohan.com. Brett Beery is a musician, and you can check out his album on Bandcamp by checking out his Instagram at Brett Beery. So follow him there. If you want to see some of my paintings, they are in the flesh right now at the McLean County Art Center in Bloomington, Illinois, as part of a three-person exhibition called Pathways with Nicole Roller and Megan Hines. Once again, that show runs through June 4th, and there's a smattering of other shows up right now, so go check it out. We also did a podcast for the show that's 255, so listen to that if you haven't. You can, of course, check out more paintings by visiting davelinway.com. I'm all over social media, so be sure to check me out and follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at David Linway. All right, and we wrapped another episode. I hope that you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. I hope that your studios are super productive. You're getting tons of stuff done. The weather is nice. The birds are chirping. You're staying safe out there. We'll talk to you real soon.